You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. I know has attracted a lot of attention. It's attracted a lot of attention here in the Philadelphia area. It's Wanamaker's Meet Me at the Eagle, Michael Lazicki. Did I get that right, Michael? Lazicki. Yeah, you did fine. Okay. Um, I, you are the author of this uh, of this wonderful book that's been getting a lot of attention, and especially at this time of year, Michael, everyone can relate to this book. Uh, they can relate to the stories that you've included in this book because um, it always seems to me that you know, despite what they call the building uh, this day, they never really have been able to, uh, I guess, dampen the spirit or uh, change the affection that we have for the Wanamaker's building there at, uh, at Broad and Market. Well, one of the real reasons for that, I mean, you're, we're talking about the ownership and all, also these traditions that come to mind when you look at this book. It's all about part of our identity. That's what these stores did. That's what they were. And that's why it's really hard for people to, to use the word Macy's or Lord & Taylor when it was. It's still the old Wanamaker's. That's Philadelphia. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, this time of year, you talk about some of those traditions. And uh, I guess while the name may have changed, thankfully, the, the, the May Company, which is the current owner of uh, the building and the Macy's department store that's there, they've decided to um, uh, to continue many of the traditions that I know you grew up with and I grew up with, including the light show, including uh, the great organ recitals that are there. Some of those traditions have gone away, though, like the monorail and the toy department on the the upper floors of the building, but at least we still have that uh, light show to bring us back to a different time, a different place, if you will. Well, I don't think I ever went to, was in Center City without walking through Wanamaker's, going from Market Street to Chestnut Street. I think that's one of Philadelphia's most important passageways. And and I mean the and the monorail. I mean, we have to remember that store had 10 selling floors at one point. Now as it operates as a Macy's, Macy's had purchased May Company, and they it's downsized to three stories now. And the previous owners, would, uh, when it was under Carter Hawley Hale, they didn't want to reduce it in size because they didn't want the, the building to look like it was failing, even though sales were dropping and they were dropping dramatically. The uh, the light show uh, continues to be that centerpiece of the holidays at the uh, at the Wanamaker building. I, before we get into some of the Christmas traditions that we've come to expect and love because of uh, of the Wanamaker building, uh, who was John Wanamaker? I mean, a lot of people may still refer to it as the Wanamaker's building. Some people may see the um, the statue outside that little um, mm-hmm. uh, turnaround there, which I guess is technically Juniper Street. Uh, yes. All right. So they, they, they see the statue, they know the building, but they may not realize the tremendous contributions that John Wanamaker made not only to Philadelphia, but to the retail industry in general. John Wanamaker hated the term merchant prince, and that is a term you hear a lot in retailing. 
he preferred that term merchant pioneer. And he, he, he started that business with his brother-in-law back in 1861. And what's real interesting about Wanamaker is he was a really strong evangelical Protestant, and he wanted his store to run be like a church, this church to be like a store. And there were a lot of um, innovative uh, ways of doing retailing that he brought to Philadelphia, especially on a grand scale. And namely, that's being able to mark prices on the goods and to return them after 10 days if you're not acceptable. And advertising, he was an innovator with advertising. It's remarkable because we take store exchange policies for granted, especially at this time of year. One of the things that I think, generally speaking, have um, uh, continue in some of the uh, the retail stores are the uh, the sales tickets the the price items that are on although you know you go to the supermarket you got to get down on the floor if you're looking at something on the bottom <laughs> shelf and try to figure out what the price is because you can't you can't figure it out but so Wanamaker was responsible for for the the the, the tickets that that went on to the items that were for sale in the store well yes and he he really he was responsible for that for Philadelphia, I believe. And his mentor was A.T. Stewart out of New York. And he was also involved in his religion and his church. And he helped Wanamaker get off the ground. And he helped incorporate many of his philosophies with doing business, including these policies that Wanamaker had. And that was kind of his, his direction, his guide, and his mentor. Now, was Wanamaker a native Philadelphian? Yes, he was. He yes, was. he was born in South Philadelphia. So the first store he opens then is there at Broad and Market? No, the first store he opened was at Sixth and Market, and it was named Oak Hall. Uh, and it was actually it was two names, Oak Hall, Wanamaker, and Brown. And it became, in a very short amount of time, the largest uh, clothing store for, for men's and boys' clothing in the country. So why does he move his establishment then a few blocks west on uh, on Market Street? Well, he, he had another move, but before that, right before 19, uh, was 1874, that Philadelphia Railroad Depot was abandoned right there at 13th and Market. And he went in there and turned that wooden depot into what he called the Grand Depot, a new kind of store, and it became the largest clothing store in the country. And here it is, 1876, the nation's centennial, having this attraction right there in the center of Center City. It was an amazing success. So does that store then ultimately become the Wanamaker store as we know it today? Yeah, he, he, he ended up, I, I mean, he ended up taking that building. He turned it, added home goods and all the following year, and then decided that it was kind of a fire trap by the time the early 1900s came by. And he, over a period of like eight years, had that store built into what you see today in three different sections and then being unveiled formally in 1911. When we talk about the holidays and we talk about Christmas in particular, we talk about that fabulous light show Mm -hmm. in the Grand Court of uh, Wanamakers. Even before we get to the light show, the name of your book, Meet Me at the Eagle, pertains to the very large eagle that is right there in the center of the store that still serves as a meeting place for dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of people throughout the year. You could be anywhere in Center City or even in Macy's, which is you know the, the building today, 
everybody knows that if you need to meet somebody, you want to meet at the Eagle. So that, I guess that's where you got the, 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 the title for your book. Well, it was just such a no-brainer. I mean, how can you think of Wanamakers without thinking of that Eagle and thinking of meeting people at the Eagle? People have been doing that for now. Next year, it's going to be 100 years. That Eagle is two tons. It's made of bronze. There's 6,600 feathers on there, individually crafted. And when they built the store and put the Eagle in there, they had to put special support beams underneath there because they didn't know how, how well the floor was going to hold up was such a heavy uh, heavy uh, bird there. They brought people in from the Philadelphia Zoo in the 1940s to try to find out if it was a boy or a girl, and they decided they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Now, you said there's 6,600 feathers? Yeah, roughly 6,600 feathers, all in- individually handcrafted. Uh, who had the task of counting that, or uh, <laughs> was it the artisan who designed it? The, 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 in their notes, they said there were 6,600 feathers. Um, I just took someone's notes on there. I did not hand count them. <laughs> not, that, not that you're not that uh, that busy enough that you would have to go and count all those. Feathers, yeah, right? I I just went with what I saw. <laughs> yeah, why, why an eagle? I mean, he could have put you know anything in them. You know, not that you would want to put a sparrow or a pigeon, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, the eagle, the symbol of the United States, of course. But um, was there any significance in putting that statue there in the Grand Court like that? Both the organ and the eagle were two nice little souvenirs that Wanamaker picked up when he visited the 1904 World's Fair Exposition in St. Louis. And those were his big purchases. That's what he envisioned, because he wanted to bring art and culture and just significance to that store in Center City. And, you know, how perfect also could it have been to have an eagle in Philadelphia? Where else would an eagle belong? Christmas is an absolutely magical time of year for Americans. It's a time when we come together and honor traditions, like putting up Christmas trees and hanging lights from the outsides of our homes. One of the most amazing traditions for my family when I was growing up was to make the trip into Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. There we would go to the Macy's department store and watch the amazing light show that would happen throughout the day. It's so magical, in fact, that I want to share a bit of it with you right now. Several times a day from late November until New Year's Eve, the show captivates Macy's shoppers. This is the iconic John Wanamaker building. Before Macy's took it over, it was home to the John Wanamaker department store. And that's the company that started the show all the way back in 1956. It tells the story of music captivates Macy's shoppers. This is the iconic John Wanamaker building. Before Macy's took it over, it was home to the John Wanamaker department store. And that's the company that started the show all the way back in 1956. It tells the story of musical teddy bears and twinkling snowflakes, toy soldiers and fluttering ballerinas. A toy train travels across the top of the scene and snowmen appear just above the star on the giant Christmas tree. The show hasn't changed much since it started and that's something people are really glad about. Adults say it's fun to relive their childhood visits and to be able to share the magic with their children. When the show started back in 1956, it was a modest display in comparison to what it's evolved into. 
Now, a quarter of a million people come to see the holiday spectacular every year. And the centerpiece of the show, beyond the enormous Christmas tree, is the Wanamaker organ. It is the only fully operational organ in all of the world. And while Macy's is now the owner of the Wanamaker building, and in essence, the light show as well, it is the people who come to visit year after year that truly own the rights to the magic behind it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the tree and uh, the the uh, the light show. Mm -hmm. From when I was a young young kid in the 1960s, always remember going with my mother. I also have, actually have a funny story about, I, which I tell people and they they look at me like I'm kind of strange. But I actually got caught in the revolving doors at Wanamaker's mm -hmm. when I was a little kid. You know, um, not not so. I don't know how it happened. My mother, you're, was, you're not the first. I'm sure, right? But you know, of course, today you tell people like that. You tell I tell my kids that, and they look at me like I have ten heads on my shoulder. But yeah, I did get caught in the in the revolving doors. But it was a tradition. It was always a family tradition to go to see the light show. Uh, we used to now maybe I always referred to it as the Dancing Waters. Was there any significance to that title, or is that something that I made up, or something that I remember from growing up that somebody in the family referred to the show as the Dancing Waters? No, you're, you're correct. Actually, the official name of that show is the Pageant of Lights, but no one calls it that. They, when that show, in that basic capacity, began in 1956, they did have the fountains there, which was operated by a company called Dancing Waters Incorporated, and they were at the base of the, of, of the, the display that you see there in the Grand Court. Now, you have water and thousands of gallons of water sitting there right near the organ. Organ plus water equals destruction. And they, these, they were not in pools, they were not in tubs, they were just resting on these rubber bats. And, you know, they kept those dancing waters was a big part of that celebration, a big part of that production. But by the early 2000s, it really became uh, a little obsolete, a lot of that light show. It's been rebuilt, completely rebuilt. But by the 2000s, it was not deemed safe to keep the water there. And those the lights and all the displays were becoming extremely fragile. When Morden Taylor was operating that building, they couldn't even do the show, um, they could only do it every two hours, because and the, the tree was gone, the Santa train was gone, the thing was literally falling apart. Wow. Um, the, so the, the, the waters are gone, but many of the yeah. light elements, as you say, that the whole show has been rebuilt, many of those light elements have been, I guess, either refurbished, rebuilt, they've been incorporated back into the show, right? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty much the... The, the, the light show that you remember, at least from the 60s and 70s, has been pretty much reproduced in the new um, LED uh, scene with those lights that you see today in the, the current Macy's building. Now, of course, um, there are those uh, voices, if you will, that are synonymous with the sound of Philadelphia. And I mm -hmm. always remember it was the voice of John Facenda that yeah. originally did uh, the narration for the light show. And I'm happy to say that it's now Dame Julie Andrews who provides the voice. But, you know, there was a voice that was used in between there that I just think missed the whole beat of Philadelphia. Yeah, well, the, I mean, a lot of people, when you, I mean... <laughs> It's still hard for, I mean, you talk about, uh, yes, they're happy those traditions are going. They're happy that uh, that you can still walk to the store, meet at the Eagle, see that light show. Um, 
it's still the old Wanamakers. And people, yes, Julie Andrews, a lot of us have soft spots in our hearts for Julie Andrews, especially if we grew up watching Sound of Music ad nauseum, as I kind of did. <laughs> and the thing is, that show, you think of John Facenda. There was a man in between that was just uh, an employee with the May Company, with Hex, mm. that did the voice after John Facenda's was let go after the Wanamaker conversion. But, um, yeah, you think of the light show, you think of John Facenda. The um, uh, Toyland was what, on the eighth floor? Yes. Okay. And they had a monorail that ran around the ceiling of Toyland. Mm -hmm. I remember riding it a, a, a few times. And, and that sort of was the culmination of a child's visit to Center City, Philadelphia during the Christmas holiday. Is that you went to go see the light show, and then you went up to um, uh, see Santa and uh, ride the monorail. Now the monorail has long been gone from the building. Uh, I, I think I don't know where it is if it if, if in fact exists even today. The, one of the cars has been restored, maybe a couple of the cars, I have to remember, and it's on display at the Police Touch Museum. I mean, it doesn't move, but it's there if you want to show your kids what it was like. You can even sit in it to get the feeling of it. You had to be under 11 years old in order to run the monorail, and that monorail ran from 1948 all the way to 1984, and it was one of probably four or five stores in the country that did this. And, you know, you, you put your kids in the, in the monorail, you can go off somewhere else, they get to look at the toys, and, you know, it was just a perfect, and plus, you had to drag your kids up eight floors. Yeah. in order to get into the building. And, I mean, you can't tell me you're not going to buy something on the way up or on the way down. I mean, it was an ingenious marketing move to have to bring all your family and your kids through the store instead of just walking in, seeing the light show, and leaving. Yeah. What was the, the motivation behind uh, the light show? Whose idea was it uh, to bring this uh, spectacular to the Grand Court of, uh, of Wanamaker's? I mean, the, the Grand Court, even from when it opened, always had these elaborate uh, elaborate presentations. Uh, if anybody remembers, at Easter time, there was the Munkachi paintings, Christ before Pilate and Christ at Calvary. Because remember, Wanamaker was a very religious man. Now, in, in the late 40s, Frederick Yost, who is involved in the theater productions at, in Yale, came in, and his job was, you know, promotions and, mark, and um, displays. And he's the one that, first of all, pushed forward putting that monorail in and also coming up with the light show. I mean, that's credited with him. There's a wonderful collection at the Historical Society of Pennsylvania of his, of his designs, of all of his specifications. I mean, he is the genius behind all of those elaborate productions that you think of when you think of Wanamakers. Yeah, Wanamakers had the uh, escalators in the middle of the building. They also had elevators that ran from floor to floor. And today we take elevators for granted. They There are no longer elevator operators. Uh, no. But Wanamakers did have, and I'm, I'm just a kid at heart, uh, you know, when you get on an elevator and whether you're going uh, eight floors or 16 floors or whatever, when the door is finally open, I always do the joke, you know, 16th floor, ladies lingerie. <laughs> and people look at me, and they're usually younger people, they look at me because they have no idea what I'm talking Talking about, but that's what I mean. the The elevator operator would announce uh, the floor that you were on and what you could find on that floor. Well, I think you have to be at least thirty to even understand what a department store even <laughs> is or was. Sure. But yeah, 
you had elevator operators, and they were really an, an integral uh, personal part of the shopping experience. Now, one of the people that I really wanted to interview for this book, and I did, I felt like Trudy Haynes, what a perfect Philadelphian. I, I, I want to know what she had to think about Wanamakers. Sure. When I talked to her, she said, I don't know if you want to hear my story. Because we talked about the policies of how integration worked in with many of these larger stores and in, 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 in Philadelphia and other places of the country as well. When she came to Philadelphia, she wanted to get a job at Wanamaker's. But since she was an African-American, the only job that would have been afforded to her other than custodial work was the elevator operator. And it took a while for, for that to, uh, to have African-Americans um, integrated into the Wanamaker's sales staff and beyond. But yeah, that was a personal part of the shopping experience, having your elevator operator. And my family has done this every year since I was probably about eight years old. The show has been so meaningful to me since I was a child. The light show was started in the early 50s. In their time, it was like you would expect, clunky, you know, big C7 bombs, and uh, it took them a month to hang it. Uh, the Grand Court is an incredible space, and uh, it's a perfect space to have a lot of people come and see a show. And because of the 140 feet of height that we have to work with here, the show can be over the top and spectacular. No new characters have been added. The characters are from the 50s as it grew every year, and then it got to a point where they said, okay, this is it. And we have kept it that way. It's, it's old school, certainly. But then again, Philadelphia is old school. You know, we, we like the idea of the tradition. About Thanksgiving, I said to my husband, they must be setting this thing up, and it must be hours and days and days of work. There we go. So we're standing underneath... Uh, the uh, main pedal division, many thousands of pounds of pipes. Uh, Robin Wanamaker added on to the organ and made it the largest organ in the world, and now it fills the room incredibly, and we've incorporated it with the light show. It reminds us of Santa and Christmas and everything that's joyful. I cannot imagine a Christmas without coming to see the light show. Michael Lazicki, you are the author of this uh, of this wonderful book that's been getting a lot of attention, and especially at this time of year, Michael, everyone uh, can relate to this book. Uh, they can relate to the stories that you've included in this book. Michael, what made you decide to write this book? And I, I you know, I, again, being from Philadelphia and experiencing. Uh, and cherishing some of these traditions that we've talked about today. You know, it, it just conjures up so many fond memories of one's youth in Philadelphia. But, you know, having these memories and sharing them with yourself or with your family and then sharing them with the world at large, what prompted you to write the book? People have always asked, well, I mean, why are you into department stores? I mean, what is this about retail? And, I, I mean, I, I didn't really, I never really knew how to answer that question. And I would say, well, why do you like a certain perfume? Why do you like a certain whiskey? Why do you like a certain color? Tell me. 
And I just say, I think because we're wired for that, for some strange reason in our brain. And for some reason, I got wired into this. And I've always said I blame it on my mother because that was part of her social routine. Now, Wanamaker's was not her store. Strawbridge and Clothier was. And um, I don't know if, I don't think that lessens my credibility for wanting to write this book. When I was part of the social experience with my mother, going with her to these stores, whether if it was in Center City or at the mall, that was my social time with her. And, I mean, I vividly remember when the Lip Brothers store in Camden, New Jersey, closed its doors in April of 72. Now, I was eight years old, and I was devastated. What was going to happen with Camden? I mean, a lot of things have happened with Camden, but I didn't really understand. But, I mean, that was such an integral part of the Camden identity, the, the, what was left there. Um, as I grew older, as I got older, I noticed that these stores were going one by one, whether it was in Philadelphia with Litz and some of the other ones, whether they were larger or smaller from out of town, from Corvettes to Kleins, um, to other places, to other cities. I was always fascinated with these. Each city had its own store, its own identity. That's very important. That was fascinating to me. And as we lost them, I wanted to know more about them. I never thought Gimbals would fail. I always heard rumors they would close. I didn't think that they would actually go forward with it. Why? I mean, would we ever live in an, a time, would I ever live in a time there was no, no place named Gimbals? When they went and others went, I knew that this industry was vulnerable. It was losing relevance, and I just became more and more interested in learning about the history because generations of people grew up and worked there and shopped there, and I wanted to know more about it. And I felt Wanamaker's, the story of the business, had not fully been told yet, and that was my motivation with Wanamaker's. Yeah, you know, when you talk about uh, Gimbals and Litz and Wanamaker's, I guess the only name that really harkens back to this this time is Macy's. I mean, you know, Penny's is a retailer that that's also been out there for, for a number of years, but, you know, it, it, I guess just the two of them are the only ones that are that are still out there from this bygone era. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, God bless Al Boscoff. I mean, he's doing whatever he can there to keep those those stores going. I mean, he's been a wonderful person with investing. I mean, it's a different store, and um, it's a quirkier store, but it has an identity, whether it's succeeding to the point where he wants it to or everybody wants it to, we can debate that. But at least it has an identity. It's, one, it's the largest family-run business in the country, but yes, all these other names that we grew up with, it's gone. Why, I mean, I don't. why should we be able to buy the same thing in Philadelphia that we can buy in San Diego that we can buy in Seattle? I mean, that it's part of our identity. The people that bought for these stores were local people. They knew the market. And I just, the whole thing of homogenization and having everyone be like each other and look like each other and think like each other, that just doesn't go for me. And that's what I want to celebrate with these books, our individuality and our history. Now, it's a good thing that you didn't, your mother didn't have uh, an affection for Montgomery Ward, <laughs> because then you would have had the Montgomery Ward logo tattooed on your calf, correct? I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to start running out of room. Uh, but I do remember a tiny little Montgomery Ward catalog center in the center of Haddonfield, New Jersey, because I grew up in Cherry Hill. Right. Um, yeah, Montgomery Ward, I mean, that's an interesting story itself, just the way it never quite ever figured out its niche or or really put forward the, the skills and money that it had in order to succeed. 
that's a whole other book. I'm not even touching Montgomery Ward right now. <laughs> now, as we uh, as we look at uh, the 100th anniversary of Wanamaker's next year, yeah. what would have been the 100th anniversary, are, are you aware of any plans? I mean, will the company that currently uh, occupies the Wanamaker building do anything to, to, to celebrate this remarkable man and and his, I guess, his legacy of, you know, while the Wanamaker's department store no longer exists, he really was a pioneer in terms of uh, of retail. So will they do anything to mark the occasion, do you know? I've only heard about some initial talks, and that kind of, I mean, I hope to become a little bit more aware and involved in that type of a celebration, because it has to happen. And, um, you know, and there's talk about something in the Crystal Tea Room, which is still up there, on the ninth floor, but acting as a banquet room. But something has to happen. We, I've had some talks with people that are even at, in the book. Um, I think we have a year to play that out, but it has to be celebrated. And I haven't heard anything from the building's owners, but I'll put a plea out to you now. Let's celebrate what is a great part of Philadelphia's identity. Absolutely. Well, Michael, I want to thank you for your time. It is a great book. I've just uh, received my copy of it, and I'm just still still going through it and uh, find that it's one of those books that you just can't put down because you've really tapped into the essence of uh, of what Wanamaker's was all about, what it means and meant to so many people, and that you've done a great job with the book. Thank you. If it just makes somebody happy just looking at it and reliving a memory, that's all I wanted to do. That's really all I wanted to do, and I, I thank you for those kind comments, and I hope it brings back a lot of memories for people in, in Philadelphia. All right, Michael, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.